Hey, it's Yona Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, with the school year starting up again, establishing a proper routine is critical for setting yourself up for success, and we dive into what are some of the do's and don'ts of a proper routine. We also discussed the number of positive effects that participating in sports can have in your mind and why e-scooters can be a lot of fun, but also very problematic. And finally, we touch base with a charity that's helped over a thousand families put clothes on their children's backs for the past 10 years and what they have planned for the coming year. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help you be at your best. Is go to bed five to 10 minutes earlier until you reach your desired bedtime. You're also going to want to do that for wake times, setting your child, waking your child a little bit earlier each day until you reach your desired wake up time for the morning. Speaking of morning routines, you're going to want to have your children have breakfast, get ready and dressed as though they would be going off to school. It's a great Saturday night. Thank you for being here with us. Love having you. I look forward to it all week long. I'm even wearing something special for you all tonight. I'm wearing my new Rambo shirt that I got from Hope. BC, where they shot the movie Rambo. Uh, you can't see it, but it's super cool. If you're a Rambo fan, you got to get to Hope PC, man, uh, in uh, British Columbia there and uh, go through the town, get some pictures taken, see some of the statues. Anyway, big Rambo fan here, so that's what we're talking about. And you know what? I bet you there's a bunch of Rambo fans out there as well, some younger, some older, and this is a great segue to talk to you about morning routine, because if you're staying up late at night watching all the Rambo movies, it means you're probably not getting up fresh and ready to rumble for school or work. So we need to talk about morning routines. That we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a bunch throughout the show. Uh, Stick with us throughout the show tonight because we're going to talk a bunch about uh, getting ready to get back to school and dealing with some of that stress and routines and so on. See if we can make it just a little bit easier now that's, uh, what is it, second week going into this thing now. So uh, we should be roughing out, uh, roughing, uh, getting rid of the rough edges, excuse me, smoothing out the rough edges and uh, being ready to uh, rumble in good frame of mind so that we can be at our best when we show up at our desk or whether it's in school or at work. So first thing you do, morning routines for school, part one, the night before. Okay, so night before school, like the night before Christmas, the night before school, check the weather forecast. Knowing the weather for the morning will help you pack your bag and play and, and plan out your, your, your clothes for play or for your outfit for work or whatever. I, I do this all the time, by the way. I'm always, it's part of my kind of uh, OCD thing. I really need to know what tomorrow's going to look like, what I'm going to have for lunch, what I'm going to have for breakfast. I do a lot of pre-planning because it helps with my anxiety as well. I, I know what the weather's going to be like. I kind of figure out in my mind what I want to wear the next day. And uh, sometimes I'm, I, I get up in the morning dressing for the weather I thought I was going to see. And I walk around all day much warmer than I want to be because I dressed for what was supposed to be cooler weather. And who knows, you know, the weather people aren't always perfect. Turned out to be really hot and steamy, so I wasn't packed. So know what the weather is. Be prepared. Have an A and a B choice, right? Pack your bag. Get your stuff ready. I'd get my paperwork and my papers together if I'm still doing hard stuff and I'm carrying around the actual documentation from time to time. I get my stuff together the night before. I have my agenda set the night before. I have my schedule set the night before. Getting things together the night before. So your books, your papers, your laptop, headphones, keys, all the stuff that you need to run around like I sometimes have to do, like a crazy person. This is not the therapist talking now. Like a crazy person trying to find my stuff and not, where did I put those? Where are my keys? And then when you're stressed like that, like how do you have a good day? How do you make it a great day? You can't make it a great day if you start your day stressed and aggravated because you can't find your sunglasses. Like seriously? 
So get all that stuff together, put it in one spot. I have what's, what I call a, a mini staging area. So I have a little staging area in my bedroom. It's basically a dish where I put all my stuff together in this dish, and I have my, my, my computer and everything kind of underneath that ready to go. I know where my stuff is, so I don't worry about it. When I wake up in the morning, I know what I'm going to have for breakfast. I, I made myself a smoothie the night before. Getting ready. Charge your devices, laptops, tablets, phones. Make sure everything is charged the night before. I believe that families should have an area where they drop all of their electronics. And I believe that they should do that when they engage in family activities. And I believe that if they do that as a family, your kids may not stay up all night on their computers and on their phones. And that staging or that, that, that catch-all area for your devices, if you, if you put it together nicely, can also be a, a place where you can charge stuff, right? So there's a good reason to leave your stuff there. Number one, it gets it out of everybody's hands. And number two, it's a chance to make sure that you charge your stuff um, so you have it lit up when you need it, right? Uh, pick an outfit. We talked about that. Making sure your clothes, figure out what you have based in mind, what you feel like wearing, how comfortable you're going to be. I worry a lot about, you know, what uh, what I'm wearing on my feet. Very important. want to make sure that um, I'm wearing shoes that are going to last, you know, that are most comfortable. So I have choices depending on how dressy I have to look or how formal I have to look. So making sure you got your stuff together. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're a shoe polisher, like I am, I like to have nice clean shoes and such, um, sneakers, and you can also clean up your sneakers. So I like to clean all that stuff up at night and kind of do some pre-prep. Listen, I don't spend all night getting ready. Maybe I spend 15 minutes, but that 15 minutes, my friend, that 15 minutes makes a difference of maybe 45 in the morning. Because in the evening when I'm kind of in the mood and I'm kind of thinking that way, it's much easier psychologically to start thinking in terms of lists and things and, and essentials and such. First thing in the morning, I'm still dealing with first thing in the morning, you know, um, getting up with uh, whatever I, I went to bed with sometimes. Uh, hopefully not. I try to lose uh, whatever's on my mind through the night. Um, and, but we're all human, right? So the summertime is like a big, long weekend. That's the big thing. That's the big thing you have to remember that when we're coming out of the summer, it's like coming out of a big, long weekend. So you kind of, it takes time, right? When you have a long weekend and, you know, it goes into a Monday, you got to go to work on Tuesday. Tuesday morning kind of feels eh, difficult because you stretched Monday into like a Saturday. So it made it feel like you had four days off, right? So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we ease into this stuff. Make sure that, for example, if you have an alarm clock and, you know, maybe move your alarm clock across the room. I know you've heard this before, but I'm sure I got Santiago here. He's Run, you know, shaking his head. Yeah, man. Yeah, me too. And you know, what I'm suggesting here is if you move it across the room, <laughs> at least for me, it's not as easy to pick it up and throw it. I'm on my third, maybe my fourth alarm clock in the last four years. So I'd like to say I accidentally knocked it off the table, but we both know that's not what happened. Right. So I, I took the, you know, I, I put it now on top of my dresser, which is not so far across the room, but far enough that uh, it's, I got to get out of bed, which is the key, right? If you got to get out of bed to turn off the alarm clock, I don't know about you, but for me, it's kind of hard to get back into bed. I do it. <laughs> I do it. I, when I can, I will. But for the most part, once you're up and you get your feet on the ground, it makes it a lot easier. So understanding your schedule for the day, making sure you're pre-planned from the night before. You know, if, there's, if, if it's a lunch kind of family where you're packing lunches for one another. Um, by the way, kids can make sandwiches too. They don't have to be complicated, peanut butter and jam, simple things like that. Uh, any kid can make. Um, and, you know, getting all that stuff done the night before, right? 
So if I have an early morning meeting and I know I need to be downtown, let's say at the studio or whatever, I plan for the night before. I have some breakfast laid out. I, 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 my wife will make me a breakfast sandwich. We put it in the fridge. I, I zap it a little bit in the microwave, throw it in my bag, and I eat it on my way down. It's they're cut into little tiny pieces. So each one is a, a, mouth, you know, a mouthful, so to speak. And I plan for my, my, my travel. I plan for my, for, my, um, for my trip on a daily basis, my commute, if you will. So if you have a daily commute, then plan for it. And if you're having a hard time getting the kids around the table to have dinner, to have breakfast and to eat something healthy, plan to have it in the car. So pack a lunch. If they're eating a lunch, they can pack their own. You can just leave the, what a lot of, tell a lot of parents to do is leave the components of the, of the lunch on the table with a bag and let them put it in the bag themselves at the very least. And give them a chance to pick one treat from the cupboard that they can throw in the bag. So now they're starting to look to go into the cupboard so they can throw things in the bag. These are for younger children. For teenagers, they want lunch. Teach them how to make it. Not your job, right? You're not running a kitchen. You want to teach them. You want to empower them. You want to give them the ability to look after themselves. You don't want them to wake up one day in university like some kids I know that call me and say, Yona, I've been at school here. You know, I'm at Western. I've been at school here, you know, for two weeks and I've never gone shopping. Like, how do you go shopping? So let's make sure our kids don't ask those questions when they uh, find themselves away from home. The better you can get them ready, the better it is for you and for everyone else. Think, simple things, by the way, uh, even in, in therapy, in, in, in treatment centers uh, that I'm involved in, you know, making the bed. The, the, the one thing a patient has to do in our facilities, it's the only thing they have to do. Uh, they don't cook, they don't clean, they don't do any of that. They work on themselves, but they got to make their own bed. There's something about making your bed in the morning that makes you feel somewhat accomplished. And when you come home, you got this fresh bed to come to. And it's one less thing you need to worry about. Walking into a messy bedroom for me, uh, at least for me, makes me a little unsettled. So coming home from a, a busy, crazy kind of day and you come into your bedroom and the bed is nice and, and nice and fresh, right? You're in a better state of mind to enjoy the rest of your evening, right? As opposed to the ruffled feeling you might have when you come into a place where there's stuff all over the place. You know, you walk into somebody's house, maybe it's yours and I'm not judging. You walk into somebody's house and there's stuff everywhere. On top of this place, on top of that, this is skewed. There's pillows on the floor, blankets, right? So that's, for me, that's uneasy. I I would say the same thing for someone who keeps their car like that. So teach their kids to be neat and tidy. Teach yourselves to be neat and tidy. And it's much easier to live your life when you're neat and tidy. So we help uh, 250 babies uh, every year with a year's worth of clothing. So families come into our space, they book an appointment through a caseworker, social worker, social agency, and they get use of this boutique. Many people call it like, it looks like a store. It looks like a baby gap and they get to come in and shop for a year's worth of clothing for free. And welcome back. Thanks for being here with me tonight. You know, it's always nice to share stories of someone really at their best, organizations at their best, and that's kind of what we do here, right? We show people who are, you know, talk about people at their best, maybe some not so much at their best. Anyway, this is an incredible story, something I that my producer, uh, Glenn, brought to my attention and was happy to talk about it. Uh, there, there's a press release that reads like this. Hamilton Charity celebrates 100 years of providing a year's worth of baby clothing for free to over 1,000 families in need. Uh, the article is September 11th, though what a remarkable day to be sharing this. The Baby Depot, a local Hamilton charity known for giving away hundreds of thousands of clothing items for free to families in need, gets ready to celebrate 10 years of service with a big gala on October 18th. We're going to find out here how you can get into that gala, maybe, or send them some money for sure. Located in the heart of downtown Hamilton, the Baby Depot Boutique 
Sounds cute, right? It's a special place where families in need for shop, to shop for free for a year's worth of clothing and essential baby items. This year alone, 250 families will come through their doors. But as founder and executive director Maggie John says, the most important thing I hope each family leaves with is a sense of dignity and freedom of choice. My guest this evening is Maggie John. Maggie, welcome. What a great story. What a great organization. And I'm so happy to have you join us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Yona. It's great to be on your show. My pleasure. So, um, you know, people need to understand. I, I have some questions for you. I'm just going to lead in here a little bit. People, you know, have to understand, and, and if they don't, we're going to teach them right now together, that how you look has an awful lot to do with how you feel and how you present yourself and what you're wearing, especially kids back to school or, or you know, young, young folks who, you know, that really matter in terms of uh, image and, and, and presentation. What a great way to boost mental health and self-confidence through something as non-intrusive as clothing. And uh, yeah, so how did you get started? It started 10 years ago. What made you get it started? Tell me the whole story. I got nothing but time. <laughs> well, uh, when you ask that question, I mean, I could I can speak for hours on this, but uh, I'll give you the uh, the Coles Notes version. <laughs> uh, so, so we started as as you read ten years ago. Um, I was a reporter, uh, a national reporter on a television show, and I covered a story of this woman who uh, was looking for some purpose. She was a mom of six of six kids, and she was looking for something to do. Uh, you know, like like she didn't have already a lot to do in her life of six kids. But but she wanted to do something in her community, and so she started collecting clothes with some friends and family and started, uh, you know, handing out these hampers filled with clothing. And I did a story on her, and I loved what she did. And as my kids got older, I donated clothes to her. And uh, one day I found out that she was no longer running this charity. It was called Baby Showers. And uh, I just spent, like, the week – I was on mat leave with our second child – and I was just stressing over the fact that, you know, all of these families in Hamilton that, that now all of a sudden don't have an outlet, don't have a place. She would tell me about, you know, how she would get 30 odd calls every single day from families desperately looking for clothing. And so went on a on a day trip with some friends out to the beach and I was griping and complaining about the fact that, you know, there's just not enough services in the city. And uh, as we're driving home, my husband turns to me and he goes, well, why don't you do something about it? <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, well, first of all, you should never say that to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But, what, but why can't I do something about it? So I called up a group of friends and my local community, my local church, and said, hey, would you uh, help me to collect gently used baby clothing and kind of take this on? And everyone said yes. And so it started in my dining room one night uh, in 2013 on a November night. Uh, we reached out to the social worker that had been working with the other charity. And she gave, I said, well, why don't we start off with three babies? She gave us 17 babies, Yoda, 17 babies, names that needed stuff. And we just spread the word and, uh, and it grew. And that Christmas we were able to bless uh, 17 babies with clothing wow. and uh, it moved to my basement wow. and eventually started growing. So uh, and here we are 10 years later with a storefront uh, two and a half years in and now over a thousand babies we've been able to help with a year's worth of clothing. That's remarkable. And is this, is this like your full-time gig for you now? I mean, you're, you know, you were a pretty formidable uh, broadcaster in your day. I mean, uh, is this what you're doing day in and day out? Yeah. I mean, wow. Good so for was, you. 
I was the volunteer executive director for all <laughs> 10 years and then uh, left my TV career earlier this year and decided that I would be full-fledged into into doing this and trying to get us on a path of sustainability. I mean, there's so much need in Hamilton. One in five children in Hamilton live under the poverty line. It costs about $10,000 to $15,000 to raise a child each year in this country. And some would say it costs a lot more than that. So can you imagine if you're living on the margins? Can you imagine if you're, you know, you're, you're basically depending on social services to get by? Maybe you've hit a rough patch in your life and you've lost your job and you have absolutely nothing. And then you hear you're expecting. What do you do in that circumstance? Those are the families that we meet every single day. And we're here to say, Hey, we can help you in that, you know, in that one year, you know, put aside that money for the other important things like food, like rent, and we can help you and and uplift you by helping you with some of these expensive things uh, that, you know, a baby needs. And babies are expensive, Yona. Yeah, no kidding. Very expensive. I have grandchildren. Tell me as a grandparent, they're even more expensive. Right. We got to buy them the stuff their parents wouldn't. So how do you, how do you grab the, how do you procure the clothes? Like, how do you get, these are, I assume all new items or these are slightly. Nope. Gently, uh, gently worn items. Give me an idea how yeah, that works. They're all gently used. We do get a number of new items, but we just spread the word through social media. We have such a given community. You, uh, you know, we our tagline is connecting neighbors one need at a time. We're really the middleman. Nice. So you know, there are moms out there and dads and guardians out there that have just a lot of stuff. Again, as I said, babies come with a lot of stuff and a lot of excess, and they're looking for places where they can give all that excess stuff to another family that needs it. And so many times we hear that. I was just looking for a place where I can give it to a family that needs it. And so we just spread the word and we constantly get uh, donations of gently used, brand new clothing people are dropping off and uh, and we're able to give. And we also try to make sure, Yona, when a family comes into the boutique, that they at least get one new item. Because every... Nice mom or dad wants to have that one new item that they could put on their child that no one else has worn. And that just that, you know, you talked off the top about how important it is and just what you wear, right. And how that helps your, your mental health, how much more for a mom or dad that knows that they have to rely on secondhand clothing, but just to have that one item that they can say, no other child wore that except for my child. That just brings a special place in someone's heart and makes them feel like there's dignity in the process as well. Remarkable. You do remarkable work. You're an remarkable human being. And by the way, great broadcaster. Like what a great, you're awesome. I, I, I can't see uh-huh. how you're, I can't see how you're going to stay off the air forever. So one, one quick last question. Okay. And then I got to let you go here, but yeah. uh, baby Depot has a gala coming up in October. How do we get involved? How can people help? How can they give, you know, send money, give donations? Tell me, like, let's let everybody do what they can here. Yeah, so we are having a gala. We want, we'd love to see it packed out as we're celebrating 10 years. So go to our website, thebabydepot.org. Remember the the, thebabydepot.org. And uh, there's a tab at the top that says Gala 23. Uh, we would love to see everyone there. Tickets are only $60. Uh, you get a great meal. It's on the lakefront uh, here in Hamilton. And uh, you get to hear about a great cause and fundraise for it. Um, we're always looking for for financial donations. What I didn't say, Yona, is that with all the clothing that we give these 
families, they also get diapers, wipes, baby lotion, shampoo, and all of that costs money that comes out of our pocket. And so uh, if you can help with that by donating financially, if you can attend, if you cannot attend the gala, we would absolutely love that. And you can donate on the website as well, thebabydepot.org. At night, create a bedtime routine. Experts at Gunderson Health Systems Sleep Lab say blue rays from electronic devices like phones, TVs, and tablets suppress our body's natural ability to release melatonin, which makes us tired. So about an hour before bed, limit the use of electronics. Okay, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Okay, we are now talking some more about back-to-school sleep tips. Really important that we understand back to school, back to work. Same thing, right? You can put them together with each other. Uh, That's what we're talking about here tonight. Um, Ways to get back in the groove, right? It's all about getting back in the groove so that being back at school or back at work on a regular, you know, on the regular routine. Because even summer times when you're working through the summer, you know, you you tend to work a little more from home perhaps, maybe go in a little later, maybe leave a little earlier. So it's getting back into that, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday, regular routine. Some people call it a grind, not me so much. Um, it's very important that we understand that sleep has a lot to do with what the next day is going to be. So too is nutrition. Nutrition also has an awful lot to do with what kind of day you're going to have. And, you know, exercise, which you've heard me talk about all the time, greatest mental health tool on the planet is mental is, is, is exercise. Uh, so nutrition, sleep and exercise is something I live by. I, I preach constantly to everybody that'll listen. So thanks for listening. And, uh, right now we're going to talk a little bit then about what the sleep tips look like and how do you get your child into that place? And what happens when you sleep, when they're, when they're sleep deprived? So as we enter a new school year, we also wade into what's often a season of sleep deprivation for our kids, right? Um, according to a Toronto mom, her name is Alessina uh, Sung. She getting her child in bed at a reasonable time on a school night is almost impossible, certainly a struggle. Her daughter, who turns five this year, uh, is a night owl by nature, she says. And she said it caused the family a great deal of headache going into junior kindergarten last year when for the first time her daughter was forced to get up early. Right? Here's a good message for you, huh? So typically well be she's normally a well-behaved kid, typically very polite, but when she doesn't have enough sleep, she's fussy, cranky, and cries, and is much more easily agitated. Well, guess what? Me too. Me too. This isn't a kid thing, by the way, folks. This is a people thing. When we haven't had enough sleep, as much as you're shaking, I know, I can see you're shaking your head, not me, Yona, not me. Yeah, come on, BS. If you haven't had enough sleep, you're cranky. We're all cranky. And if you're not cranky, it's because... Either you had a little stimulant the night before and it's still kind of in your system or you're just one of those people that can live on three hours of sleep and God bless you if you are. But typically we need six hours, seven hours, eight hours, depending on our age. Younger kids need even more. So I think sleep is a superpower, according to registered social worker and pediatric sleep expert Amanda Juson. She says she runs a place called the Toronto-based sleep consultancy Baby's Best Sleep. So we're just now learning the potential, she says, of uh, the impact of sleep on, on very young children. If you're worried that your kid's not getting the right to sleep, there's all kinds of experts and places you can go and talk about uh, routines with, with an expert as well if what I'm sharing with you isn't sufficient for uh, you to move forward. How to get kids into a bedtime routine really is you have to basically work on it, man. It's, it's, it's effort. So, you know, sleep schedules often go out the window during the summer, as we know, because it's 
the weather. It's the you know no real uh, no real schedule for mo- most kids. That's why I believe that kids need to be in programs even in the summer. Um, but it's tough to tell. Um, you know, a child to get ready for bed when the sun is not yet in bed. So when your kids used to going to bed at seven o'clock for school for the night before, if they're Litlands or nine or 10, if they're a little bigger than Litlands and you know, the sun is still out at nine 30, it's tough to get them to go to sleep. I get it. So how do you darken the room? That's the question. Not fight with them that it's sunny out. Don't make it sunny in the room, darken the room, blackout, blackout uh, curtains, relatively inexpensive. You can get them at places like Ikea and Home Depot. Um, you know, you can you buy them. They come in, 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 in various sizes uh, and they are, they will keep the light out. I have them in my place so that I'm able to keep the light out when necessary. Um, they're also good to, you know, when you put them in a living room and you want to keep the light out of your TV area. So getting them ready for school, getting them ready for sleep, it's an effort if you have to work at it. Come up, come up with ways then to make it easy. So the sleep part Right, we get them ready for bed. Silent, quiet music may be playing in their room, something they might like. Um, I've lately, uh, for my doggy, I've lately seen doggy videos uh, for dogs that have anxiety, and um, I play it for my little guy Siggy. Uh, but for kids, it would be amazing. Little kids seeing all these cute little doggies with with kind of spa quiet music to help them get ready for bed, a big deal. You got to control the blue light impact uh, from the sun or from the computer screens. Right, so again, blocking the windows making sure they're not looking at screens, computers, TVs, uh, tablets, phones, anything. Blue light will definitely keep you awake, especially if you're, if you're younger and you're not so used to it, right? Um, Got to limit your child's exposure to what they do before bed. So if they're watching, say, if they're playing video games and they're uh, running and shooting and killing and doing whatever some of these video games, which by the way are not my best friend, um, you know, these video games will also encourage um, energy and um, you know, boost adrenaline so it's much more difficult to go to sleep. Um, so we understand that the best way to shift your kid into, into a sleep pattern is by changing it and adding in 30-minute increments. So if your kid's going to bed at 9 o'clock and you want them to go to bed essentially at 7.30, move them from you know 9 o'clock to 8.30, from 8.30 to 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock to 7.30 and hold there, right? So you know it's like weaning somebody off a drug or alcohol. Let's take it over time so it doesn't have huge sudden impact. Um, and treats and, and, ben- and bonuses and benefits for doing what you need to do and going to bed when you need to go to bed and waking up without any aggravation. I have families that I talk to all the time that we, you know, we share ideas on how to make mornings easier. So I think the kid, if you have more than one kid in the house, you know, someone who's ready for, ready for school with no aggravation, no complaints, no grief, no nothing, will get something in the car. And if you got two or three kids, only one wins. The other two are getting ang- anger- aggravated because they didn't. They may, in fact, starting start to work towards getting that reward in the car, right? So let's c- make it kind of fun. Don't make it such a big deal. Um, according to Kim Davis, she's a certified pediatric sleep consultant and the founder of a, a place in Ottawa called um, Babies, uh, what's it, Babies and Beyond, agreed with the advice that Jusin said above, advising parents to take one or two weeks before school to ease them into a routine. So it's a little late because we're you know, already a week or so into school, but it's never too late to start. And if you're having, a tr- you're having trouble doing it now, stop fighting, take the war away, put all the weapons down, and let's look at coming at this from a peaceful place. Your kids will respond to you better if you come at this from a peaceful place as opposed to a point of friction. So the symptoms of sleep deprivation in a kid can look very different than it does in an adult, okay? So you have to understand that according to the um, Center for Disease Control, kids between 6 and 12 need 9 to 12 hours of sleep every day. Adolescents aged 13 to 18 need 10 hours of rest every day. 
So, um, and it could have big consequences if they don't get the rest that they need. So in, in school-age kids, we, we see a real problem because the timing for school, we'll get that out in a minute, the timing for school doesn't co- correlate with when they're at their best. So if you want a teenager at their best, you want to start school at 10 o'clock, not at 7.30, 8 o'clock, 8.30. And run till 4 because they got tons of energy. They'll go till 6, 7, 8 o'clock if you have to. It's starting early in the morning. We've been talking to teachers in schools about this for months and years for, you know, about changing the, and some schools in fact have, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. So major signs of sleepiness in, the, in a kid struggling to sleep at night. Um, you got to look at things like, you know, they feel overtired. They're more agitated. Um, they they uh, don't eat quite as well. Uh, they're, they're finding that um, um, they're, they're, they're not um, concentrating on school like they should. And they, you know, you may see that they have some surge in energy. I would look at what they're eating to see that surge in energy. So you want to, if you're looking at a kid that's having some issues with sleep, we want to make sure that we're looking at the signs of tiredness that could, you know, then have much farther reaching issues than just uh, not getting up on time, right? Has a lot of consequences, manifest in different ways, according to the experts that do these types of studies, that um, in increasing behavioral problems in adolescence, so they visited the principal's office more often, kids that hadn't had proper sleep. Um, also significant positive implications for mental health issues like depression, anxiety, um, also come from uh, lack of sleep, right? So, so it's not just a question of wanting them to go to bed because they need their rest. We want them to go to bed because it's the healthy choice. Right? So, unfortunately, a majority of youth uh, may not be getting enough sleep, according to the 2017 study by the Center for Disease Control found 7 out of 10 high school students get less sleep than they need. That's a big deal, my friends. And if you're worried about why your kids are moody and aggravated and agitated, let's look at how they slept the night before. Right? So, the school system, as we said, is skewed against that. We should be starting school, I think, at 10 Finishing at four, giving kids the opportunity to, um, you know, to be ready for, uh, for what they need, right? Be ready for the stuff that they need to do. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you give them a little more time in the morning to get ready, they're just much easier to get along with, much more fun. It's not a function of them being lazy in the morning. Their body just isn't ready. And it's like, you know, taking your car for a drive when your car isn't really, um, isn't really ready, right? So um, very important to understand that um, sleep is not, a, is not a treat. It's something that we need. It's, it, we have no, no choice here. It's something that we must have, right? And um, very important that you, that you focus on making it an easy transition, not making it a war. If you're going to make it a war, then you're going to end up in a, a stressful situation for you and a stressful situation for your, your, your child. And that's not going to be a benefit to anybody, right? We all know that. If you really are having a hard time getting your child to get to bed, um, you know, if they're still up after 20, 30 minutes, then getting up and not making them forcefully stay in the bed, um, do an activity that's quiet until they look like they're tired. And welcome back. So as promised, we're going to get back into a little more talking about sleep routines, morning routines, all that kind of stuff. We just did a segment here. I'm sure you heard it. And if you didn't, make sure you catch it on the podcast uh, about sleep and getting kids ready for sleep. And by the way, it applies to you too, right? Applies to us as adults, not just a kid thing. Uh, And if you're tuning in, I really appreciate you being here. If you're just getting here now, if you're just getting here late, you know, get up a little earlier, man, if you want to get to the show when we start. But uh, lots to continue to do, and I'm glad that you could be here to help me do it. Um, Your morning routine. So part two of the morning routine. So once you've turned off your alarm, right? Now what are we doing, right? We turn off the alarm. 
hit the bathroom, at least for me, hit the bathroom, still feeling a little groggy, right? I'm still kind of a little out of it. Wash my face. Uh, don't jump in the shower right away because I need time to kind of get it all organized. Uh, shower is kind of the thing I do when I'm kind of ready to put the wrapping on, which is my clothing at the end of it all. So getting up in the morning, getting, turn off your alarm. Typically for me, I put my feet over the edge of the bed. I say a couple of little prayers. Um, just basically give thanks for having my body routine ba- you know, returned back to me and my soul and all that stuff without getting into too much of that kind of stuff for you. But for so maybe I just kind of focus on where I am for a moment or two. Maybe it takes five or ten minutes. Catch my breath, make sure I'm in the right frame of mind, get up, go in the bathroom, go do what I got to do, right? Then we, my wife and I take turns, make our bed. Maybe I throw it over. We have a king-size bed, so I throw maybe the sheets over my side. She throws them over your side, her side, and together they kind of get uh, fluffed up, and it looks kind of nice, so our bed is always made. It takes just a couple of seconds, but it's part of the routine that just, I don't know, just feels good. Even when I come out of the bathroom and the bed is made, I just feel like the day is fresh kind of ready to get started. I know it's a little redundant to what we were talking about before, but very important that something as simple as making a bed is a great way uh, for a morning routine for you and especially for your kids. Getting dressed, that shouldn't take very long if you prepared, as we said earlier on in the show, for prepared the night before, right? And, you know, if if you're trying not to switch your, desert, you know, I know clothing is maybe not a big deal for everybody. For many, many people, it has a lot to do with how they're going to feel that day. Okay, so let me take you back to a story. I remember back when I was a teenager a long time ago, and, I, you know, I got fired from a job. It was a part-time job. I got fired from a job, and I was feeling really down and out and really miserable. My uh, my uncle, my mother's uh, brother, who has since passed, had a chain of uh, of clothing stores, retail clothing stores, men's stores, and he, you know, I, he said, come on into the store. So I went into the store, and I got a new shirt. I got a new tie. I got a blazer which is a jacket. I got a blazer and a pair of pants. Uh, and I felt great. It made me feel great. It helped me have the energy to go to an interview for another part-time job. And it gave me the confidence and so on. So don't pass by the clothing just as something you need to cover so that you keep yourself warm and cozy or cool and relaxed either way. It's, it can define how you feel about yourself that day. Imagine what the, getting dressed in that pretty dress is or that beautiful uh, new shirt and tie or even something as simple as a, you know, a new belt or a pair of shoes that are a, you know, a pair of shoes coming back from the, from the, from the cobbler, you know, shiny and new heels, like something fresh and new, clean and crisp, right? Set your day the same way. Okay, so now we're dressed. We've been through the bathroom. We're dressed. We get up. We put our, you know, uh, say a, you know, maybe say a few affirmations in the morning. If you're, if you're not a prayer kind of person, maybe some a little bit of gratitude. Really thankful for the few things I have in my life. Right? Again, not trying to be preachy. Just get your head in the right space to be at your best. Okay, so we've done with sleep. We're now up. We're dressed. We're looking great. Feeling great. Maybe you don't put the shirt on. I don't necessarily put the shirt on. I don't wear a tie. But when I did, I'd never put my tie on until after I finished breakfast. Because more often than not, I'd have to change the tie. And we know what that story looks like, right? Okay. So now we're eating breakfast. Big part of the day. Not on the fly. And if it needs to be on the run, like I said earlier in the show, and you want to take breakfast into the car, make breakfast sandwiches, breakfast snacks, things that are easy to eat, um, and not make too much of a mess or make your kids dirty or, or, or stain, right? So nothing with sauces that drip and so on. Um, you know, juices in a, you know, juices in a box versus, you know, in something else. So they're easily thrown out. They don't make too much of a mess. Very important to have a breakfast. Very important to have a healthy breakfast. So I get up in the morning. First thing I do is I have a smoothie. 
talking about me here. It's the best I can do is share with you what I do. I don't want to preach to you what you should do, just give you advice. So what I do is I have a smoothie in the morning, first thing, and then an, an hour or so after my smoothie, I have the same breakfast every day, which is a scoop of tuna, a piece of Parmes, fresh Parmesan cheese, which is delicious, half a dozen or eight olives still in the oil, and a hard-boiled egg cut into pieces with a little salt and pepper. The same breakfast every day. When I go on trips, same breakfast every day to the extent that I can. So now I've got the right things in my belly. I know I'm still going to have room for, for lunch because lunch is very important too, right? Meals throughout the day are very important. Micro meals are a good way to go. So if you're a working guy, a working person, working woman, and you're, uh, you're at your desk, you know, little snacks versus one big lunch. So, you know, a handful of something, uh, a, half a, a half a sandwich of something, you know, a half a piece of something cut into pieces. Like, so you're kind of, I like to graze kind of all day long. And for me, that just keeps my belly kind of full and it's fun and it's exciting. I look forward to this stuff. So even something as simple as a cheese sandwich on whole grain bread will do the trick and you can take it on the go. You know, think cereal and milk if that's the kind, if you're not lactose intolerant, if you're lactose intolerant, there's all kinds of other forms of, of dairy products that you can have with your cereal. Toast and butter, toast and peanut butter is great. Um, you know, think about something, but it has to be something good enough that you can fill your belly with healthy stuff that tastes good, smells good, right? Tastes good, smells good, um, and is good for you. So you feel like you're now ready to go out and do what you need to do for your day. Now you have to brush your teeth. If you have, if we, Usually most people brush their teeth in the morning. I tend not to brush my teeth until after I've had my breakfast, that breakfast part that we talked about before I leave the house, because I'd like to get all this stuff out. Some people breakfast, brush their teeth before and after. Eh, it's overkill for me, right? Fix your hair. I mean, I'm fortunate. I'm at the stage of my life. I got long hair down to my shoulders, a full head of hair. When it's out of place, I feel out of place. So I take a few minutes and I brush it and I clean it up. I mean, you know, maybe put a little something in it to keep it back, do whatever I got to do. Right. But it's very important. How we look has a lot to do with how we feel. You know, if you still got peanut butter on the edge of your lip, when you go to, you know, how many times I've walked into an office to have a meeting with somebody and somebody in the office, if not the person I was meeting had breakfast still on their face or on their, on their neck or on their shirt. Come on. It's a, for me, it's a turnoff. I wouldn't want to walk around with it. If I was walking around with a stone, stained shirt all day long, it would make me crazy. So what do I do? Plan B. You own a bud. Plan B. I always have an extra shirt in my car. Do you know that? Did you know that, that I have an extra shirt in my car? I do. Because you never know. Because I stain stuff. I just, be honest, I'm just sloppy, so I stain stuff. So I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, uh, you know, in downtown Toronto or downtown Vancouver or wherever I'm meeting somebody and suddenly have a stain all over myself and go, oh, man, I'm going to wear this all day? Because with my, my, my OCD, I'm going to concentrate, frankly, on the, on the stain on my shirt and not what I should be doing. So clothes has a lot to do with it. Your hair has a lot to do with it. If you're a person that wears makeup, you know, putting your makeup on properly and appropriately, not in the car while you're driving. Gentlemen, ladies, and everybody in between, we don't shave, brush our teeth, or put our makeup on while we are driving. And OMG, how many people do that? Seriously. Now, you brush your teeth, fixed your hair, you're dressed, almost ready to leave the house. Now's the time to walk the dog real quick, feed the, feed the animals, do what you got to do. Get the kids to the bus stop or get them into the car ready to go. Rather, rather than check your phone or turn on the TV or do anything else, get a couple of chores under your belt so that you're not rushing like a crazy person to get ready, right? 
Number, the last thing is to head out. Grab your bag as you leave the house. Look up. Make sure you have everything that you need and get going. Avoid the late bell. Avoid showing up late for work. Avoid showing up late for school. Teachers don't like it. Employers don't like it. Right? So now here's a big secret. Let me let you in on the big secret. Plan B. Plan for delays. Plan for something going wrong. Plan for traffic to be worse than you normally think it will be. Plan for something to happen that, you know, you may not plan to have happen. So, for example, an umbrella in the car just to have it handy. Or, or some, you know, make sure your kids have something they can wear if it's going to rain. If the weather is warm and it rains, they basically need, a, you know, a cap of something to keep the, the rain out of their face. Maybe not so much a jacket. The weather gets a little cooler and probably more, more overclothing, right? But make sure that we're all planned for weather that's unexpected, delays in traffic that are unexpected, um, all kinds of things that may go wrong that have nothing to do with you. You know, you get on, if you're, if you're a person that uses public transit, transit as great as it is in, in Toronto and in, in, in around the country, we have some pretty good public transit for the most part in most uh, major uh, areas across Canada um, versus other countries, for example. But things go wrong. They get delays, you know, and, and being stuck in traffic, being stuck on a bus, being stuck waiting for the bus, this stuff happens. So I find I prefer to be where I need to be a little earlier, right, than later. And these are all things that are going to make your morning much simpler, much less aggravation when it comes to getting your kids up and ready for school. We don't support them to be on sports team because we want to create the next great athlete. We know they won't be the wonderful champions that the Boston Bruins or the Boston Red Sox are, are, are certain to be. We do it because of the benefits of being in a goal-directed environment with peers who expect you to behave well, with an adult other than your parent trying to teach you goal-driven principles. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that little stretch there. You had a little more time than we normally do. I get, up, get to get up and stretch my legs, use the bathroom, grab something to drink. I hope you did the same and you're ready to rumble for hour two. Thanks for joining me. Okay, so we're talking about getting ready. We're talking about school. We're talking about kids. We're talking about healthy things to do. But when we're talking about you know getting people ready back to school, back to work, all that stuff, I want to just throw something in here a little bit. I want to share with you a little bit. You know, when I was younger, again, lots of stories, right? When I was, that's what happens when you get to give an old guy a microphone. You're going to hear nothing but stories. So when I was younger, sports was a big part of everything we did as kids. Whether it was ball hockey on the street, whether it was basketball at the school, well, you know, I was I was a boxer, so for me it was you know getting down to the gym. But I would skip, I would run, ride my bike, um, I play sports with my buddies, you know, touch football, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of how we hung. You know, we'd meet at the back of the park, we'd meet at the back of the school, we'd meet at somebody's house. You know, we had I had a couple. My buddy Gary, uh, still my best friend uh, after you know many 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 decades. You know, he lived at the uh, in, on a cul-de-sac, right? So we played ball hockey down at his end because no cars would come, right? That was the whole thing about ball hockey, right? You don't want cars. Car! Then you got to pick up all your stuff and you know put it all back down again, which is great as long as you're not the goalie and have to move the net each time. Anyway, I digress. It's about sports. It's about activity. It's about what that does for young people. And frankly, what it does for us as adults as well. You know, if you're the kind of person that goes for nice long walks midday or heads out to the gym because you're in that kind of job and you can take your lunch hour and head over to the gym and do some stuff or you do it after work in the beginning of the, of the, of the day, if you're someone who's typically doing stuff, physical stuff, chances are you're going to feel better than those that don't. 
And I mean feel better as it relates right now, not so much physically, although that's a huge part of it, but mentally. I have people that talk to me all the day, all the time, Yona, how do I get over my anxiety? How do I get over all this aggravation and, and anger and stress that I carry? And I tell them, work out. And if you don't want to work out, you got to get this out of your system. So go buy yourself a box of nails, a, a two by four from a local construction site, a hammer that you can lift and use, and go pound hammer, go pound nails in wood. So if you can't pound nails in wood, and that's really the last resort, you know, some kind of sport where you can punch and kick. So punch and kick a heavy bag, great way to get release stuff. Uh, running where you can sprint. Um, you know, any activities with your buddies, like basketball, baseball, football, any of that kind of hockey, all that stuff that you exert energy and you've got to focus on doing things and eye-to-hand coordination that all helps reduce stress and give you a better position for your mental health. So much so that the, in the, Lon- the London Lions, it's a, a, in the UK, it's a premier basketball club. They released a landmark study highlighting the vital importance sporting environments provide young people in terms of their mental health, what it does to help young people with their mental health. And the study from the Lions emphasized that undeniably the bond between sporting teammates as 31% of Brits say that when growing up, they were more likely to discuss problems with their teammates rather than their family. According to Sport England's Active Lives survey, another survey, it showed that more children and young people are getting active to help with their mental well-being, with many of the activities taking place in group settings including 3.13% increase in numbers of kids playing basketball from the year before. So the data is very clear. We know for a fact that exercise and fitness and high-energy, high-impact type sports help release stre- relief, stress, anxiety, and other forms of mental, uh, mental health blocks that you may be carrying around with you, right? The importance of the conditions, the connections, excuse me, the importance of the connections between, um, between sports and the statistics of how that you know helps you moving forward. Uh, there's a priority group uh, that did a statistical study, also I believe out of uh, the UK, where as many as 40 percent of the men in the UK say they would, won't discuss their mental health with close friends, family, or a medical professional, but would with a teammate. So it's not just a question of individual care and what that provides you for, what, what provides you with in terms of taking care of your mental health, but the fact that you do this in potentially a group setting is another form, in my opinion, of group therapy. The study also called attention to the positive impact that sports can have, particularly on young children. Over half, 53% of parents in the survey, see a huge positive difference in their child's mental and physical health when participating in sport. Absolutely. It teaches them to socialize. It teaches them to share. It teaches them to think. It teaches them about defeat. It teaches them about wins. It's a great format. It's a great place. You know, I boxed most of my, my young life, and it was, I wasn't much of a baseball player and couldn't skate very well, so I was a boxer, and you know, the, I, I boxed with teammates. And, and that whole experience you know, changed my life to know what it's like to get knocked down and have to stand back up, for, literally, and how that impacts what I do now going forward. We're finding that, according to researchers at the University of Georgia, that the regular moderate, uh, moderate to intense physical activity between the ages of 11 to 13 is directly linked with better mental health. And it goes on and on and on. Participating in, grus- in grassroots sports also gives children the opportunity to develop, um, uh, develop uh, uh, opportunities with friends. Participating in the grassroots teams growing up enabled children to develop um, new friend groups and life skills. So realizing that exercise is a huge part of it, what kind of exercise program do you have for your kids? What are they doing if it's not at school? 
then what are we doing after school? And can you do that too much? Is there such a thing as over-programming your kids? Can they do too many after-school things? I don't know. I don't know your kids. You have to judge that. You have to make a decision based on kid by kid. Some kids can be, can be heavily stimulated time and time and time. Other kids need a break between stimulations, right? So they can't, you know, they can't go to dance on Thursday and ballet on, and, and, and gymnastics on, on, on Friday and, and art classes on Saturday. Like some kids can, can handle that. Some kids can't. You have to know what the tolerance level of your kid has for uh, stimulation, uh, you know, educational stimulation and other terms of activities outside of the, the school environment. Um, there's an interesting study here, the transformative power of sport for young people across the UK, back in the U, uh, UK study here, the, the Lions, again, the, or, the, the organization recently partnered with Serpentine Galleries to create a unique community basketball court in Tower Hamlets in the UK, which is London's worst hit, worst hit borough in terms of child poverty. And the court aims to, the, the, the basketball court aims to provide a vibrant and safe space for kids to play. And guess what? Kids were doing better, much better, that they built strong relationships through the sport, that they were learning how to be coached and what being a co- working with a coach really means. Being, you know, so being coached means you're willing, you're willing to learn and listen. What a great skill to have as a young person, a skill we can have as we get older and probably right now as you're looking at me. And by the way, sport and sport teams and group activities, that kind of stuff, really healthy for us at any age. As a matter of fact, one would say probably more important as we get older, 45, 50 and older, let's say, more important at that stage of your life perhaps than it is when you're in your 20s and in, in, a, in a, different, a different space and time. It's very important that we have the camaraderie of what that kind of teamwork looks like. And when people talk about teams and, and business and teams on the floor in different offices and different uh, work environments, it, it's essentially a build on Athletic-related team activity, for the most part. Working together, passing the puck, so to speak. Sharing ideas if it's not a, a sporting environment, right? So in the, the London team launched a coaching program which aims to address the UK basketball scene becoming an isolated environment due to current legislation, which means obtaining a visa to coach basketball in a major is a major obstacle for elite coaches around Europe. So right now the, what we're trying to do is they're trying to get some coaching from within, and, and build, build and bring in coaches that will, will enhance the opportunity for these young people to learn. But apparently it's a bit of a block in the UK due to the, the difficulty in, uh, in putting it all together and getting the right people on the, on the court, so to speak. So the general manager of the London Lions women's team, Vanya Cernovec, she says like this, when participating in sports, a child can learn and develop life skills that can be transferred into their adult life, hard work, teamwork, decision-making, abiding by rules, and that's all taught through coaching. I do think the coaches that are working with the young people right now are so underfunded and underinvested in, and I would say that's worldwide. So let's spend some time, some money. If you know how to coach, you know, volunteer somewhere. It makes a difference. Keep your kids active. That's how we keep them healthy. Interesting story I get to share with you here. You know, 911 was a really 
difficult time. We're talking about the uh, terror attacks way back. Um, I was actually living in the U.S. at the time, lost a bunch of friends uh, that uh, that I knew um, in the, in the towers, well as well as uh, uh, several that were on the plane leaving uh, leaving um, Washington. Uh, so for me, it was a very um, very difficult time. I, it was months and months of trying to get myself back together and uh, on the right path again. Uh, but you know, there's so many remarkable stories that come from that very difficult time. You know, and when we get to share those stories of, of people rising above, you know, the resiliency, the strength that it takes, of, the strength of character that it takes to be able to bounce back in the, in the, in the, uh, in, you know, in, in the midst of a disastrous situation where, you know, it changed the world, such as we're seeing people coming out of the pandemic, right? Same thing. Um, not nearly as devastating in terms of, you know, terrorist type impact, but, a lot of people died with uh, with coronavirus across the country, across the world, right? So um, survival is a big thing, and many people have grown from that. Interesting story that I want to share with you tonight. It goes like this. After 911, survivor quilt, uh, quit Wall Street job to do what he loves. Make the most with time that you have, he says. His name is Daniel Cayazzo, and he was a 23-year-old bond trader working on the 55th floor of the World Trade Center on uh, September 11th. The morning he carried his boss down 55 flights of stairs and then urged a coworker to ignore the announcements that it was safe to return to the office. Moments later, the building collapsed. I wish that I would have been able to save more people that day, he goes on to say. He's now, he, he's now Danny's now 45. He tells People Magazine, on the 22nd anniversary of the day that changed his life, he was diagnosed with PTSD shortly after 911, urges others to talk about their feelings as well and to spend time doing what they love with those that they love. He goes on to say, you have to make the most of the time that you have with the people that you care about because you never know how quickly things can change. Things changed so quickly for so many people that day, he goes on to say, I really did see the terribleness, but also the best part of humanity when I looked around. At the office that morning, Daniel asked a coworker to go downstairs and grab breakfast like they did most days. As he soon said, as soon as he said that, he said, let me get off this phone call. The first tower got hit, he remembers. My entire building that I was in shook. We all knew something wasn't right. The elevators weren't working. He had to run down the staircase. He flew down. He, f- he took a few flights down, turned back to check on his coworkers, found his boss sitting frozen on the steps. She couldn't move. She was having a panic attack. And she said to me, Danny, I don't want to die, he recalls her saying, and he put her hand he put her hand on my he put her hand on my back. He goes on to say, and started I started carrying her down the stairs. When they reached the tenth floor, an announcement came over the loudspeaker saying Tower Two was secure and they could return to work. He ignored the announcement and continued down the stairs. Once in the lobby, he says the one of his friends suggested they should go back upstairs, but he disagreed. I said, I don't think we should go back. I think it's a stupid idea. Thank God they all ins- they all were listening. And they paid attention to him. Outside the building, he looked up and saw a giant hole in the first tower. People were jumping out of the buildings, landing literally 20 feet from me all over the place, hearing noises coming from all kinds of places, turning his head. The building I just walked out of just absolutely exploded. And he just started running and kept running and kept running. He himself was hit with debris along the way as he remembers the horror in the faces of the people that he passed. The next day, he was visited by his grandfather, who in fact was a Korean war vet. And it was the first time I ever saw him cry, he says, Daniel says. 
He said to me that nobody in his family knows what it's like to be in a war except me, and he started crying. A few months later, Daniel was officially diagnosed with PTSD. Then he had to learn to accept that while he wishes he could have saved more people, his actions helped many, many that day. I had to change my perspective, he says. I realized that I was 23 years old and actually saved a handful of people besides my boss who I carried down. I was responsible for people leaving who didn't want to. Once I changed my perspective, he says, it was a big thing for me. It turned out that something negative into something positive. So his therapist encouraged him to leave Wall Street and to do something that he loves. So he went back to school and he earned a degree in music production, started his own music label, went to work on albums with you know some pretty famous people, and realized that um, he, was ben- he was benefiting so much from therapy that he wanted to also pay it forward. So then he continued. He went back to school again, if you can believe it, listen to this, earned a master's, a young guy, right, for sure, Right, young guy in his early 20s, went back to earn a master's degree in, 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 uh, in school in counseling and child psychology. Now he works as a school guidance counselor. Talk about your feelings, he says. Don't keep things inside, he tells his kids. He and his wife Grace brought their, brought their now 12-year-old son Joseph home from the hospital on the 10th anniversary of 911. He remembers saying, I always felt like the innocence that I lost that day came back when he came home. My sunshine came into in, sunshine came into my life when his now ten year old daughter was born, Sophia. He still battles with PTSD. It's an ongoing thing for him, right? Even on sunny days, it can be a trigger for him because nine one one was such a picturesque day. It was such a beautiful day, if you can all remember. The weather was gorgeous. The, everything was you know beautiful until the horror that hits came about. He shares his story, so he shares his story, so others will know and other survivors can, you know, connect with him. And you feel like nobody really gets it sometimes. He says, you know what we're going through and what you've gone through or the experience, unless someone's gone through it, they can't really understand it. And God forbid people need to go through something like this to understand it. But if you're able to step out of that and realize that there are people who do share a lot of the same experiences, a lot of the same feelings, makes it a little easier. He encourages others to listen to the words that his therapist told him. You just got to keep doing what you love, he says. That's really why we try to live my best life. I try to be a good person, a good father, and keep making music and having fun. It's a great story to share with all of us because you know what? From darkness, we can find light. I promise you, my friends. You can take from a difficult situation and make something very positive out of it. You can take from every situation that you struggle through and come away stronger more knowledgeable, more experienced, more tools in the tool belt, as they say. And here is, in Daniel's story, he was surrounded by disaster and by tragedy. Somehow he lifted himself out. Somehow he lifted himself and others out. Somehow he was able to manage to think beyond his post-traumatic stress, traumatic stories and, and dreams and visions that you can only imagine he carried around. And somehow was able to come out of that with a desire to help others. And that desire to help others is what fuels his ability to keep going day by day by day. So what's the message here, my friend? What are the messages that we're trying to share here in this little, this little snippet of life advice? That even when you're kicked down, even when you're on the ground covered in sand, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, give yourself a shake, 
get your composure, and live to fight another day. Because as disastrous and as horrific as you think today might be for you, and God forbid you're living in such a situation, please look to the sunshine. Look to find that sunshine, that, that little bit of gleaming light through those dark clouds, because it's there. You got to want to look for it. You got to want to see it. And by the way, you can't find sunshine if you're looking on the ground. So walking with our head down in defeat or in distress or just not feeling good about ourselves at the moment, walking with your head down, shuffling your feet, looking at the ground, that's not where we find our growth. We find our growth from looking up. We find that positive feeling from looking up. Look above you. Look beyond you. Find yourself a piece of water and look to the end of the lake beyond what you can see. Look into the skies and look beyond the clouds to as far as you can see. Infinite opportunity. Infinite chance. Infinite redos. That's what life is about. What you do with the redo. What you do with the what you do with the coupon to start again. There is a significant increase in the number of interventions with regards to uh, opioid uh, intoxication. There's uh, unfortunately no way of controlling or knowing exactly what the drug users are consuming these days. And welcome back. Whoa, boy, the time just flies and we're having a good time. Listen, I'm going to get to you early. If you don't know where your loved ones are, your kids, your adults, your pets, if you're not sure where they are, give give them a check. Give them a call, see where they are, make sure you know where your loved ones are. And if you're not quite sure, you can call 911 wherever you are and ask for something called a wellness check. Send them over to your grandpa's house, your dad's house, or check on your kids, whatever you need to do if you're concerned that they might be in harm's way because you haven't heard from them and they're not where they need to be. Anyway, speaking of harm's way, I'm sad to say that what we need to talk about here right now is how the death rates have tripled in Ontario and soon to be, I think, across Canada for teens and young adults since 2014 as a result of the opioid crisis. So opioid-related deaths among teens and young adults in Ontario have tripled from 2014 to 2021, with drug treatment rates significantly decreasing as the increase of opioid overdoses rises. So the report authors call for more measures to address the root causes of um, of these disastrous statistics. So let me tell you how this works. We're talking about tainted drug supply. What is tainted drug supply? Imagine, imagine, imagine you go to the store to buy milk. And normally when you come home, you have, you know, a half a glass of milk or you use a quarter glass of milk in your coffee or in your, whatever you're mixing, whatever you're making. You can clearly tell I'm not much of a cook. So, you know, you're using milk and all of a sudden you pour this amount of milk into whatever you're using and it's curdling and it looks, I'm sure it's happened. It's happened to me. It's curdling. It's yucky. It's a, so you've now got tainted milk in your, in your, in whatever it is you're cooking or eating, right? Imagine if you're a drug user, casual, or, uh, you know, someone who's addicted through poor mental health and, and addiction diseases of, of, of various kinds, right? And you're used to using, I don't know, you're used to taking one Oxycontin pill. And all of a sudden now, because you're not getting your Oxycontin pills from the pharmacy anymore, because you don't have a prescription and you can't get legit ones from pretty much anybody unless you know a senior who's willing to trade their their prescription for food money which many are unfortunately so you take this pill that your buddy gives you and goes hey man there's some oxy we're going to go out Friday night or molly or ecstasy or any other kind of party drug and you pop one pill because that's what you're used to taking and all of a sudden 
you get a surge in your chest, a pounding in your heart, and you're now dealing with a fentanyl overdose. Well, he didn't take the pill, smoke the joint, do the line, use the cocaine, smoke the crack, whatever, knowing that it was laced with fentanyl likely. But because it's laced with fentanyl, the normal dosage you would take not knowing there was something tainted in there now could kill you. So you understand if a kid is, by the way, at least a half a dozen kids that I know of myself, one-on-one in my practice, had tainted marijuana, tainted with fentanyl, dusted, as they say. Okay, not such a big deal, right? If you've been around drugs long enough, and I have my whole life, um, you know, on the positive side of the equation for the most part, right? In terms of being a therapist and working with in crisis with people that have drug and mental health issues, right? So the, 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 back in the day, it would marijuana would be dusted with PCP. You know, heroin would be laced with other forms of things to cut it, to make it stretch further, make it cheaper to produce, which is where tainted drugs come from. Either for the purpose of making the drug high higher or to make the manufacturing of the drug cheaper. But unbeknownst to the person using, whether it's whether it's, you know, your buddy, you know, Ray and his and his and his girlfriend Sarah on a Saturday night like to get a little high, but normally they're, you know, okay, and all of a sudden they get hot pills because they're tainted with something they didn't expect, or a little baggie of cocaine because, you know, Bobby and his buddies like to play cards on Sunday afternoons at somebody's house, have a few drinks and do a couple of lines. All of a sudden now someone's being rushed to the hospital for, you know, a fentanyl overdose. These are legit stories, by the way. These are stories that I've lived in my practice. So now we're talking about how opioid deaths among kids, 15 to 24 surge. They're not, it's not because they're hung up on fentanyl and want to, and want to try to kill themselves. It's because a lot of the drugs that are on the street, street drugs, quote unquote, are tainted with fentanyl, carfentanyl, and the like. As a matter of fact, I think two years ago, I could be off a little bit. Don't, don't hold me to it. Uh, the Ontario Nurses Association did a street test of available street drugs, all available street drugs, party drugs, and so on, and found that 80% were tainted with fentanyl, carfentanyl, or the like. That's astounding. It's an outrageous number. So even though you have your buddy up the street who gets his weed from the guy that's down the street who grows his own or whatever, and the guy who's down the street and grows his own and sells you know ounces of pot or half ounces of pot here and there, maybe he also sells a little blow or maybe he sells some pills and has to print them or has to press them or has to you know produce them in some way and uses the same scale that he uses to measure out his pills and his fentanyl to cut his pills, suddenly uses the same scale to measure a, a, a handful of weed to give to somebody, not knowing that there's such minuscule amounts of fentanyl, carfentanyl alike on the scale. Now you've got tainted weed. That's how this happens. Not necessarily purposeful. Sometimes just by contact from a, from a measuring device, something like a scale or something similar like that. So it's not most people, it's not an intentional high. And then there's a whole group of people, by the way, Young people who say, man, you got to try this. You got to try this, this oxy. Like it's incredible. It's great because it's tainted with, with fentanyl. They've done it before. And the high is just really like crazy stupid, right? Like beyond the normal high. There are people that chase the highest high possible, even at the risk of losing their lives. The problem with uncontrolled drug supply is that it's an uncontrolled drug supply. We don't know what we're using. 
if the milk you got in the in the in the counter at, at the farmers at, at at the supermarket didn't have some form of dairy you know control, some form of food and and drug control, which we have in this country, fortunately, you don't know if that milk is good or not not good. And by the way, bad milk can make you pretty sick. Same too with any other kinds of drugs. Same too with any other thing you buy. You know, you want to buy weed from your buddy up the street because it's cheaper than the Ontario Cannabis Store or any of the National Cannabis Store programs across the country, BC, Alberta, wherever it's sold. That's who you buy from because at least we know for sure that someone is paying attention to the weed that's going into the bag. So it doesn't have pesticides, it doesn't have fentanyl, it doesn't have anything that's likely could kill you or cause you to have an overdose reaction in some form or another. So it's not surprising that young kids, teenagers, are getting are, are showing up in the emergency rooms with overdoses because the street drugs that they're using are not are not uh, are not necessarily coming from a clean supply. Now we've got all kinds of treatment issues around how to treat them. So you know a lot of people say, well, you know, we're putting young people on methadone, on suboxone, and so on, right, as a means by which to help them come off their opioids. Well, methadone and suboxone are opioids. They're opioid antagonists, but they are synthetic forms of opioids. And by the way, after I don't know, maybe 500, 600 recent cases that I've been involved in or people that I've worked with or my my practitioners have worked with, I can tell you that coming off of Suboxone and Methadone is more difficult than coming off of heroin. It's more difficult than coming off of, 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 of any of the other street drugs. It seems to be more difficult to beat you know, it's more, it's, it's simpler, by the way. So let me t- take you through the story because I, I live in this world and you don't. You're addicted to heroin. You want to get off of heroin or opioids. You want to get some treatment around it. There's several ways you can do it. Harm reduction treatment is Suboxone, or, or which is a um, you know a form of of anti of uh, of uh, anti of an opioid antagonist, right? Or methadone, the same thing. And we find that the um, the treat that treatment prolongs the the addiction or the the desire or the need to stay connected to something that puts some form of opioid in your system. So there's, it's, when you come off of these synthetic drugs, it's much harder to kick. The detox process is much more difficult than just kicking the heroin and going through the three, four, five days of pain straight up. Now you're going through days, weeks, maybe months of pain trying to get off of, of heroin and Suboxone. So what if we used hydromorphine and some form of therapy, right? Hydromorphine is a little easier to come off of. You can use small amounts to help people not be dope sick and so on. It's a long process. We need to get into it. We need to discuss it. But what's happening right now is we're losing these kids because we're not doing a good job treating them, helping them, guiding them, and making sure that if if they are involved in street activity and street drugs, that they're getting some form of, of, of safe supply. I think it's important to understand that people that we know that have issues with drugs for the most part, for the most part, don't do it because they, they have a choice. Many people that I know that I treat and I work with start with drugs and, and alcohol and, and other forms of activity, sexting, texting, eating disorders, gambling, all that stuff, because they can't get comfortable in their own skin. They're doing whatever they can to try to get that comfort level. And the experts and the, the authors of these reports and these studies that talk about how many kids are dying due to opioids, what do they say? Authors concluded... A new approach is needed. Duh. No kidding, right? Anyway, pay attention to this stuff. It's real and uh, anything you can do to help. By the way, you should have a Narcan kit or Naloxone in your house if you've got teenage kids. You never know when you're going to need it. 
safety of pedestrians is not being is not being taken as seriously as it should be. It's kind of like the Wild West. There's no rules, there's no regulations, and they can drive on the street, they can drive on the sidewalk, they don't have to stop at red lights, and they don't have to let you know they're coming. It's very disconcerting. Okay, welcome back. Boy, time flies when you're having a good time. I know I said that a little earlier. I miss you guys when you're not around here with me, so kind of a little sad as we get closer to the end of the show, but we have so much fun together that I'm excited to do it again next week. So next week, you've got a whole bunch of new stuff to talk about as well. We're going to be uh, uh, continuing to uh, to look at, uh, at, at ways that uh, we can be at our best and um, you know what does long-term care really look like in couples who have to move from one long-term care facility to another. Uh, we're going to chat a lot about that next week in terms of how do you separate people? Because one needs one kind of care and the other needs the other kind of care. Something's, you know, people are married 45, 50 years and suddenly you've got to separate them. Anyway, we're going to talk about it next week. Stick with me, plus a whole bunch more stuff. So we hope to see you next Saturday night. But right now we're still not done. No more stuff to do. And I saved this for the last. I said to Glenn, my producer, buddy, I need to go crazy on this next subject. Because I'll tell you something. I almost killed a guy on a scooter about a week ago. What does that mean? Not because I went out of my way and I wanted to kill him. It's because he was riding between me and the car beside me, trying to get up through uh, one of the major streets here in, in downtown Toronto, which is you know well known as uh, Toronto the Gridlock, right? And we, you know, this guy is on this on this scooter, no helmet, no nothing, flying between the the sidewalk and the and the street in between cars. Like he didn't know if he was a car or he's a bike or he's a human. Like incredible. Like at 30, 40 kilometers an hour. So I'm thinking to myself two things. Number one, he's going he's gonna to fall. He's going to hit himself. He's going to do something. He's going to split his head wide open. And if I see that, I'm not going to be able to have lunch. So it's kind of nauseating, so jokingly. But dangerous, right? So I have a friend of mine. His name is Jack. He lives in BC. He's a great buddy. Big guy. Jack's like six foot four, probably weighs 240 pounds of absolute solid muscle. Good looking. Great guy. He's always into the cool new stuff. Jack loves to scooter. But he loves to scooter. He wears a helmet. He, wear, he, he scooters, he puts the scooter in his vehicle. He drives his vehicle to the mountain areas in Kelowna in the area that he, around where he lives. And he goes on these mountain scooter rides on a daily basis. Okay, I'm up for that. By the way, he invited me to do it the last time I was there and I chickened out. I didn't want to go. But anyway, that, I, that makes sense to me. You know, like it makes sense to me. It makes more sense to me than driving these things down streets and down sidewalks, Right where they're likely to kill themselves or others or run into people or run into, you know, people walking down the streets. I, I see people dodging away from these these scooter guys and gals and everything in between to try to get out of the way so they don't get hit on a sidewalk. Well, if you can't be safe on a sidewalk, and by the way, we know we can't, you can't be safe on a sidewalk, where are you supposed to be safe? These things are dangerous. Dangerous. So, like an accident waiting to happen, New Westminster proposes... Speed limits on e-scooters. Speed limits? What do you mean a speed limit? Take them off the road. Wait, you'll just go, so they'll go 20 kilometers, 25 kilometers an hour? Okay, so you got a guy on a scooter, a person on a scooter, they weigh 170, 180 pounds, right? Fairly, you know, good shape, whatever, on this scooter, who knows how much the scooter weighs, and you're a 123-pound, fragile, 67-year-old woman, with your cart coming home from your shopping, and now they only have to go 20 or 25 kilometers, that's the speed limit, on the sidewalk. You don't think if they hit you it's going to hurt? It's not going to, may not hurt as much as 40 kilometers an hour, 
but it needs to be zero kilometers an hour on the sidewalk. I think anything with wheels doesn't belong on a sidewalk unless you're under the age of 10. Right? And that includes skateboards, bicycles, scooters, anything. And if it has a motor, OMG. Don't get me started. Seriously. Do you see a sidewalk sign that says, motorized vehicles, be careful, stay to the left? No. You know why there's no signs for motorized vehicles on sidewalks? Come on. You know the question. Do, 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 do. Because they're not supposed to be there. So why would you put signs somewhere where someone shouldn't be? Like, if you got to put a sign on the sidewalk outside of a restaurant that says, don't pee on the sidewalk, there's a problem. You shouldn't be peeing on the sidewalk. So should the sign say, pee around the corner? No. Motorized vehicles belong on the street. Okay, fair. Wheeled vehicles belong on the street. Fair. And there are bicycle lanes. Fair. You think the bicycle folks that I'm now learning how to coexist with, you think they want the guy at 25 kilometers an hour, the person 25 kilometers an hour, zipping along on a little scooter? Oh, by the way, I like the ones that rent them because they they don't give a darn. I almost used bad language here. They don't give a darn. They rented it. It's not their scooter. They'll give it back. So if it's dented or scratched, who cares? They can schlep it or carry it to the next depot, stick it in the box. Nobody's going to know before they, ha- they they whack their credit card with the $2,500 fee because they ruined the scooter. And by the way, can we talk about the kids on the scooter for a second? Forget about how it aggravates and pisses me off. What about the dangerous nature of these devices? What were they thinking? Now, I'm a scooter guy because I have a disability and I can't walk very far. But it's a scooter. It's got wheels. It's got like it, you know, and I don't scooter on the sidewalk. And when I do, I'm very careful. I scooter in the bike lane, right? If I, if I can, I scooter in the bike lane. I, you know, people can see you're on a scooter. It's a disability scooter, but I, I have the right, I provide the right of way to kids, to, to, to people walking, even bicycles from time to time, especially if they're driven by children, but motorized vehicles in places where people walk do not make sense. And motorized vehicles that don't have requirements and regulations around the kind of gear you need to wear, the kind of safety measures you need to take, right? These things need to have a license plate. Once they have a license plate, we can control them. But you don't know if Billy around the corner went to Canadian Tire yesterday and saved up his money from summer from cutting lawns and stuff, went out and bought his $265 scooter. Billy's not maybe the smartest kid in town either. You want him on a motorized school running around the, running around town while there's people pushing strollers and such first thing in the morning on the way to school? Come on. And what are schools doing with these scooters when kids show up at school? Are they putting them in the bike racks? I don't think so. So where are they tying them to? They're tying them to the fences. Well, that's not what the fences were entitled, entitled to do. It just doesn't make sense. If you want to you be in the scooter business, then we need scooter lanes. And we need scooter laws. And we need scooter limits. And there need to be scooters that are of certain weight, certain size, certain, you know, engine capacity, if you will. Otherwise, these things are brutally dangerous. They make no sense to me at all. And in New Westminster, they're proposing that the 30-kilometer streets an hour, we're sending a message that we want people to slow down on our main streets. Ironically, if you're driving an e-scooter on a sidewalk, there's no speed limit. No kidding. You can go as fast as you want, the experts go on to say. Okay. (laughs) All right. He sees a complete ban on motorized vehicles as unrealistic because the city doesn't have good enough network of bike lanes. Come on. So we can't provide people with enough place to ride the bike, so what we're going to do is let them ride and travel and use dangerous devices? Like, how does that make sense? 
I would like to know. I don't have the study. We weren't able to study to get into it fast enough, fast enough to, to produce it for the show. But I would love to know how many hospital visits are scooter related. Either as the person riding the scooter and falling and hurting yourself doesn't. By the way, these scooters have little tiny wheels. Doesn't take much. Like I'm on a when my scooter, I have a mobility scooter. It's called an auto scooter. Folds up like a suitcase. It's the coolest looking thing. But when I open it up to use it. It's, it's, it's designed to go over the cracks of the sidewalk if necessary. Maybe hit a pebble, right? Maybe hit a broken piece of something on the ground, right? Scooters aren't. You hit something on a scooter, you're going flying. And if you're going flying without a helmet on or without knee pads or elbow pads or anything, I know that looks dorky, sounds dorky, but man, you got to be safe out there, right? I don't know what people are thinking when they enact these, these, these they fail to enact laws around things that they sell as devices. And not only are we don't have laws around them, we're now sharing them in places like BC, Toronto, Alberta, Canada, across Canada. We're sharing that we have bike, bike rentals provided by the city with no legislation, no rules, no regulations. Come on. I, I don't get, I, sometimes I wonder who has the keys to the city. Who, you know, you get a key to the city when you behave yourself and do well. I think they give the key to the city sometimes to people who are as dumb as a box of rocks and clearly are not thinking when it comes to dangerous devices and things like this. So I don't know how you feel about it, but you can certainly send me messages throughout the week and we can talk about it. But I, I, I do believe that if a vehicle has a motor, it's got to have regulations, legislation, and something around making sure that people are, are safe. People are safe, are, are able to, to get to and from work without killing themselves or anybody else along the way. Anyway, we had a jam-packed night. Certainly was for me big time. Hope you shared, got to share some of this stuff, some of your thoughts with your friends and buddies that you were listening to the show with. Um, It's very important to me that this information is something that resonates with you and that you can use going forward. Uh, I, I really, I really, really need to think, we need to think a lot about how we prep ourselves for school and for work, especially that we're back to work. We need to do a little bit better, I think, in terms of how we, how we plan for ourselves and plan for our success. You know, things just don't happen. You know, I do a keynote speech uh, this year, 2024 keynote speech is all about making it a great day. So I wish you all to make it a great day, but you got to do it with work, effort, and ambition. I love you. You're the best audience ever. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Go out there and spread nice. Make it the best week ever. We'll see you next week.